I've been trying to think of a way to sing the sermon. Stand up. Come on, big man. In all seriousness, why don't you take a stand with me? Stand up. If you know this, join in. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast caused me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why can we sing that? Why can we sing that? Isn't it because of Christ? Isn't it because we have a Savior who is victorious? Isn't it because we have a Savior who has dealt with sin? Isn't it because we have a Savior that has sealed us with the promise of what is to come? So that when the sea billows roll... It's well with my soul. Pray. Father, we are grateful for what you have done for us. We're grateful for your word, that you are a God who doesn't remain silent, that you are a God who speaks, that you are a God who has spoken to us. We are thankful for Jesus. There are big sea billows in our life. And yet peace comes like a river. And it is well with our soul because of you. Speak to us again this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Take a seat and grab your Bibles. Turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Read with me just verse... 1, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. There are scholars who believe that the book of Hebrews, as we have it recorded for us today, was quite possibly a sermon and that someone transcribed and recorded and was, and was shared, possibly. If it was, then this is the part where the preacher says, okay, guys, here's the main point of everything that I want to say. If you forget everything else, please don't. But if you do, and you walk out the door and someone says, hey, uh, what did that guy that was preaching 
preach about today. This is the main point of what is being said, is how he starts Romans 8 and verse 1. So what is the main point? First thing I want you to notice about this passage, we're going to overview much of it, but we're going to try and get through chapter 8. The first thing I want you to notice about this is that Jesus is seated. He's seated, all right? I don't want you to overlook that. That Jesus is seated. I mean, we just talked about the fact of all the things that Jesus has done for us, past tense, as we read through the Gospels, as we read through the story of our salvation. We think about Jesus and his work. We think about his earthly life. We think about the miracles. We think about um, his teaching. We especially, as we come to Easter, Palm Sunday today, and we think about Jesus moving towards the cross. We see the crowds. We see then those that turn against him. We see a Jesus on a, on a cross, abandoned, dying, suffering. And we know, as we've learnt the story of the gospel, that that death was not in vain, that it was rotting in us, it was achieving something in us that we could not achieve for ourselves, that our sins could be pardoned. We know that three days later, Jesus rose again, vindicating his life, that he was able to accomplish what he said he would. We know that he ascended to the Father victorious. But that was 2,000 years ago, right? What's he been doing since then? I mean, really, what is he doing? 2,000 years has passed. What is Jesus doing in heaven? First thing you'll notice here is he's, he's seated. He is sitting. This is a, a powerful image of the completed work of Christ. There isn't something more that he needs to do. When it comes to your salvation, my salvation, the salvation of this world, there isn't something more for Jesus to do. As far as our salvation goes, you don't need a Jesus 2.0. You don't need some type of upgrade. This means that whatever Jesus has done is sufficient for your rescue. Any person, any person, from the greatest to the least, has the same access into the presence of God. There is nothing more to add. Which means that if you or I are searching for security in a formula which looks like this, Jesus plus Something, you fill in the blank. Jesus plus 
something equals security, then it isn't Jesus that you're relying on. It's whatever you put in the blank. Jesus is seated because he recalls what he cried out on the cross. When Jesus hung in the darkness, the landscape of our lives pressed down on him in full weight. When Jesus hung in the darkness, he drank to the dregs the cup of God's wrath against sin. And in that moment, he looked through all of eternity and he locked eyes with you and he locked eyes with me and he said, it is finished. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says this. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. But, but then what did he do? He sat down. He sat down. It was done. And look where he's sitting. Back in Hebrews, look where he's sitting. He sits at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Jesus sits in a place of victory. He sits in a place of power and of honor over every other name. Jesus isn't sitting because he's tired. Just in the same way that God didn't rest on the seventh day because he was worn out. He's sitting because he conquered. No one left to fight. The fight has been won and done. There are no other contenders. They've all been defeated. In Philippians chapter 2, starting from verse 6, it gives us a picture as an illustration of the type of attitude we should live our lives with, but this is the picture that Paul gives to the Philippian church about Jesus. He says, in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, that existing in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who is Jesus Christ? Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That's the reality. Today, we worship a victorious, reigning, seated king. He holds a name above every other name. And our great 
privilege is to bow the knee before him and call him Lord. What has Jesus been doing? He's been reigning, seated in a position of power and honor and victory. Why is that important? It's important for us because the sea billows still roll. It's important because tragedy still comes. It's important because we still wrestle with sin. It's important when you're sitting in a doctor's office. It's important when family hasn't turned out the way you wanted it to. It's important when pandemics sweep the world. We have a king who is seated. We have a king who has already won. We have a king that enables us to sing songs like when peace like a river attendeth my way. Or when sea billows roll, it is well with my soul because we have a king who reigns, is seated at the right hand of God and the majesty on high. We have a king. It matters for us as we think about our own future and as we think about our soul It matters to us that we have a king who has overcome when it comes to thinking about how we deal with guilt in this world or shame in this world or overcome sin in this world. It matters that Jesus is seated. That's not all the verse in Hebrews 1 says. It said that we have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, but it goes on. In case you think that because Jesus is our seated saviour, that he's not doing anything, that he's just sort of sitting around in heaven like a teenager. (laughs) Present company excluded course that Jesus is just hanging about maybe maybe Jesus is just waiting up there waiting for the father to give him the nod and go time to go back oh good I'll finish what I started just in case you think that let's correct our understanding because Jesus is not only seated he's serving That's the second thing I want you to notice. He's not only seated, he's serving. Some people think that maybe that means that Jesus is putting his carpentry skills to good use in heaven because didn't he say, I'm going to go and prepare a room for you? (laughs) But look at what the teacher of Hebrews says. Read with me back Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 1, to remind ourselves of the flow, and then we'll go down to verse 3. 
Now, the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. That's where we finished before. Verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Jesus is a minister in heaven. Jesus is still working for us, offering something on our behalf. But what does he offer? What is Christ doing on our behalf? 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, just the first two verses. This is what John... I love John's language, and not only his language, but the way he goes about saying what he has to say in his epistles. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. John, John knows the effect of sin, and he desires for these young ones in the faith, to not have to grapple with the effect of it. So he says, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Can you hear the the fatherly heart of John in that? My little children, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin. But John is also a realist. But if anyone does sin, what then? God's God's purpose for us is to walk in holiness and to walk with our Savior and to be ever sanctified, to be ever changed into the likeness of Jesus. And one day we will meet him face to face and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest and we will be perfected in him. What a day. Dan and I were just chatting before the service. Dan said to me, how are you feeling? And I said, oh, I'm... Not too bad? That's the right answer, do we? Is that the right answer we say at church? Not too bad? Good. But I know Dan. We've, we've known each other for a long time. So I felt at liberty to also then move the conversation on to say, but not every day is. And we both, we both had a bit of a chat about that and feeling the weight of life as it sometimes presses down on us. And Dan said to me, um, Dan said to me, I used to, what did you say, Dan? I used to hold back and think, oh, I hope the Lord doesn't come one day soon. There's so many things I'd like to do in life. And you know, Have you thought that? I've, I've thought that, especially before I got married. I was like, <laughs> I want Jesus to come back, but this marriage thing seems pretty good. 
Um, maybe he could hold off till at least after the honeymoon or at least a year into our marriage or at least... But then the older we get, the more we yearn, don't we? Oh, Jesus, come back soon. The old saints of old would say, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Because we get tired of wrestling with sin. We get tired of wrestling with a sinful world filled with the effect of sin. But if anyone does sin, what's our hope now? What's our hope? We have an advocate with the Father. We have one who stands on our behalf, who utters your name in the courts of heaven on your behalf. We have one who stands there in the courts of the holy and just God and says, he's with me. I paid for that. He's righteous because of me. We have an advocate with the Father. What about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6? It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. We have an advocate and we have a mediator. We know, don't we, that the flesh still influences us. I hope you understand that. It still fights. There is still a war going on in this world. And we get caught in the crossfire. The flesh still strives to dig its talons into you. And hold you. And bind you. We also know that sometimes we entertain sin. Like an unwanted guest that we keep inviting back. We know that we live in a world corrupted by sin. And we know that the stain of sin can sometimes leave a mark on us. What I'm trying to say is this, we are new people. We are. If in Christ, you are a new creation. Praise God. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. We're new creatures. But guess what? We're not home yet. We're not home yet. The road is narrow and it's difficult And the road will sometimes wind through dark valleys and treacherous swamps. Raymond Terrace stinks at the moment, doesn't it? Oh my goodness. At dawn this morning, I woke. Oh, that's right. (laughs) I've done that about my own life sometimes. 
I know who my Redeemer is. But sometimes I take a deep breath and I think, that's right. There's filth here. I've picked up the stink of the world. We know that Satan stalks us, the Bible says, like a lion hungry to devour. We know all of this. But here's something else that you need to know. Something that you need to recall on a daily basis. Something that needs to be embedded in your consciousness each and every day. You have an advocate. You have one who utters your name before the throne. You have a friend in high places. (laughs) You have someone who is for you, not against you. You have one who sticks closer than even the best of brothers. That's what Jesus offers. He is the high priest who offers his advocacy for you. Let me explain really quickly, mediator and advocacy. They're sometimes almost the same thing, but slightly different. A mediator is someone who stands between two parties. Okay, so let's say you're having a conflict with a neighbor in your street. And it can't be resolved through all the normal ways, like letter bombing. No, not that. <laughs> not that at all. You know, that was old days. If you need to resolve something and you can't resolve it through normal, you, you can have sometimes even a court-appointed mediator, a third party who comes and sits in a room and they get both of you in the room and they say, basically, we're not going anywhere until this is sorted out. There's a mediator, someone who stands in the gap between two people and helps resolve some conflict or problem between them. Jesus is our mediator. He stands in the gap between a holy God and us and he says, I will be your mediation. You will find relationship through me. Jesus is our mediator. An advocate is something similar It's a third person, a third party, but instead of standing neutral in the middle, an advocate takes the side of one party and represents them. So if I want to advocate for my son, who, because of a disability, may not be able to access the same services or may be treated differently in a school or maybe face some challenge, I walk into a meeting Believe me, I am not a neutral third party in that room. That teacher knows who I am for. I will listen. I will try to understand the complex issues that face a school environment. But guess who I'm for? I'm for the needs of my son. I want my son to be able to access the services here. And so you need to do something about that, right? I'm advocating for someone. I'm on their side and I'm walking them into a room and I'm saying, we need to do better. Jesus is a mediator. 
But not just that. He's your advocate. Jesus is for you. Romans 8.31 says this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, we sang about this earlier, didn't we? If God is for us, who's against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. We go back to the beginning of that chapter in verse 1, probably my favorite verse in the Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. But how does he offer all of this? How does Jesus serve? First thing, we're just going to do two things quickly. He serves with permanency. Jesus is not going to just give up on this at some point in time. Jesus is not temporary. We'll go back to verses 1 and verse 2. I want you just to highlight, we've got this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne, the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. It's a reference to the fact that in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there were priests, but they, they served their lifetime and they died. And a new priest had to come along. And there were good priests and there were bad priests. We've been talking about this over the last few weeks. But not Jesus. Unlike the priests of the Old Covenant, those of Aaron's order, Jesus serves us as a high priest permanently. Permanently. He serves in the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by man. And why does that matter? It matters because he's the unchanging God of yesterday, today and forever. Which means he's faithful. It means he's trustworthy. It means he's true. It means that you can have confidence that what Jesus said he would do, he will do. It means that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. It means that when you fail tomorrow, notice I didn't say if you fail tomorrow. When you fail tomorrow, you can be certain of the character of Jesus based on who he is today, which is built on the foundation of who he revealed himself to be yesterday. He does not change. He will see you through. He will. So he serves. He serves permanently. But he also serves with superiority. 
He reigns victorious, who is superior. I want to read to you just a few verses from Hebrews 8 again, verses 4 down to verse 6. It says this, Now if he were on earth, talking about Jesus, he wouldn't be a priest, since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law. These serve as a copy and shadows of the heavenly things, as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. This series that we're doing through Hebrews, I deliberately called Seeing Jesus Through the Shadows, because that's what Hebrews is very much about. It's this concept. All that we see in the Old Testament, the temple, the, the sacrificial system, the way that people related to God, the writer of the book of Hebrews says that they were copies. They were shadows of the real, of the substance, of the perfect. Do you recall how Hebrews begins, Hebrews 1 and verse 1, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, however, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. God is a God who speaks and that should astound us, it should. That's not only all that God does. All all the other so-called gods of this world are mute. But God has spoken. God has revealed himself in various ways, in various times. But in these last days, Hebrews says, he has revealed himself. He has spoken of himself through his son, Jesus Christ. All the other ways are copies and shadows of the real thing. So while the tabernacle was an important place for Israel as they wandered through the desert and set up the tent of meeting, made of goat skin, if you go back and read how that was, it's quite complex. It was important, but it was a shadow. And eventually when Israel was settled in in the promised land, they built a a permanent place, a temple. It was one of the wonders of the world when Solomon built it. People came from all over the world to see it. It was important, but it was a copy, a shadow. Even the covenants that we saw about on the video, they're important. They teach us something about how God relates to people But there's a better covenant. And Jesus is a minister of that better covenant, that new covenant. Some of you may be disappointed in me for this if you didn't already know this, but a few years ago I decided to get a tattoo. So I don't know, I turned 40, midlife crisis or something like that. I got a tattoo. Um, It's quite large. 
covers all that shoulder, and I'm not, I'm not showing you. I got the tattoo based on that print, which I've had hanging on my wall for quite a number of years. The print itself, it says down the bottom, if you can read it, is number 40 of 50, which means it was a copy. Um, only 50 copies were made, and I've got the 40th. And I've had it hanging on my wall. It's a boat coming out of a storm, and it says, it is well with my soul. I got a copy of that and put it on my arm, not really for anybody else's benefit except mine. It reminds me permanently when I get lost in storms that there is a light in Christ and it is well with my soul. I imagine that the master copy of that is hanging on the artist's wall somewhere. or Maybe it's in a special file on his computer. It's the master copy. There are lots of copies in this world. But if you were to look at my tattoo, you would see the resemblance and you would say, oh, that, that looks just like that print. And that print should point you to and look at the original, the master. All these copies and shadows that we read about in the Bible, they're all signposts. They're all, they're all pointing and they're saying, look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. He's the true. He's, he's the master. He's the original. They're designed to lead us to Jesus. Maybe you've got a print of a Monet. Maybe you're not into tattoos. Or Picasso. Or Van Gogh or Da Vinci. I'm fairly confident you don't have an original. <laughs> Pretty confident. If you do, I'd like to come look at it. I'd like to get to know you better. <laughs> Hopefully to the point that you would include me in your will. <laughs> because copies, even poorly made fakes, point to an original. Jesus is the mediator of a superior covenant. Everything was pointing to him. He's the original He's the master. So what is that better covenant? Let's read it to finish our service this morning. This is, what, this is what God has covenanted with us. This is what God has entered into a binding agreement. This is better than just promise. The, the, the English word promise doesn't really carry the word covenant well. This is a binding agreement that God has entered into with you and Jesus himself is the mediator of it. He's the one who stands and holds it together. So will you grab your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 8, starting from verse 7, and I would love for you to stand with me as we read the words together that God has covenanted with us. Hebrews 8, I'm going to read from verse 7. It says, For if that first covenant, talking about all those covenants that had come before, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. But finding fault with his people, he says, 
And here he quotes from Jeremiah. See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I showed no concern for them, says the Lord, because they did not continue my covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each his brother or sister saying, Know the Lord, as in this is how you must know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wrongdoing. And I will never again remember their sins. By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete. And what is obsolete is growing old and is about to pass away. The new and better covenant that God has made with us is a binding promise that God makes with his people, you and I. And he has fulfilled all sides of the agreement. Remember, we have a Jesus who is seated. It's done. There's nothing more to add to your salvation required. But he's not only seated, he's serving. You have someone who is for you in the courts of heaven. We all need to remember that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are victorious, that you reign forevermore, that you defeated death and the grave, that you are now a living hope, that you have called us to be your children. That we might boldly approach the throne of grace because of what you've done. But we thank you that we are also not alone in this world. That you stand as a mediator and an advocate of a better covenant. A better agreement. And we benefit from what you have done. And it's all grace. And so we worship you this morning, Jesus. Amen.